You're prone to wander. Exodus chapter 33. I want you to turn there with me, please. And we're going to backtrack a little bit from where we were last week. But there are times, I think you'd agree with me, that there are times when God leads us to do what seems to be impossible tasks. God leads us down a path which to the human eye looks to be something that cannot be done. And there are times when God leads us through deep waters, very challenging times that look as though we could never make it. And that's really where we find Moses at this portion of history. And it is there in those challenging times In those difficult times, it is there that we discover our great inability and God's great ability and sufficiency. Nobody likes to be put into a difficult position. Nobody likes to be brought to a point where you you feel like you just can't do anything and you don't know what to do. Nobody likes to go there. But it is there often where we meet God. It's there when we realize how much we need Him. When you're on the mountaintop, you don't really think about how much you need Him. When you have all your liberties and rights and freedoms and you can do whatever you want to do and, and uh, your health is strong enough and you're, you're able to run as fast as you want to run and you have enough money to go as much as you want to go, when you're in that position, you don't really think about how much you need God. But it's oftentimes when you're broken. And you're brought to this point that we realize in these trying times, we get a real sense of how utterly helpless we are. We begin to realize he doesn't really need us, but oh, how much we need him. Now, I wonder this morning, have you been brought there? Have you ever been brought to the point when you realize you need him? Sometimes we have this strange idea that God needs us don't we? We have this idea, and and that's born really, I think, out of the society in which we live, this kind of egotistical society that we think the world can't go on without us. Spurgeon was ill one time, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers from London. He was laid up ill. In fact, he was ill for much of his ministry. He laid in bed, he should have been preaching, and he said, Lord, how on earth will the work continue? And it was as if the Lord whispered to him, the same way that the coach would continue if the fly wasn't still sat upon the steering wheel. We sometimes imagine that things can't go on without us. And Moses has found himself in this very difficult position. This conversation with God, the conversation that Tommy read for us a moment ago, is regarding the future of God's people and what God had asked Moses to do with leading these people to the promised land. So you find that very thing in in our text. In verse number 12, Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people. You've asked me to bring this people up. And in chapter 32 and verse 34, God had told Moses to lead this people to the promised land. And Moses knew, now hold on God, you've asked me to do this, but we have not gotten very far and already look at what's happened. We haven't gone very far and this people have proved to be a stubborn, stiff-necked, 
hard-nosed people. And I, it looks like a hopeless cause, God. You've asked us, you've asked me to lead this people down an impossible journey, through an impossible journey, uh, to accomplish an impossible task. And so Moses says, I need to know who you're going to send with me. He says there in verse number 12, Thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Moses says, God, you told me you know me by name. You've told me I found grace in your sight. And based upon these things, Moses now brings these requests before God. Now, therefore, I pray thee. Now, God, I ask thee. And I want you to look at these next couple of verses and the way that Moses speaks to God about the future. And it might be that we find ourselves following this pattern that God has given us on how to address him about an uncertain and what looks like an impossible future. Look at the way Moses speaks in verse number 13. Now therefore I pray thee, based upon what you've told me, God, I pray thee, I ask thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. I've circled that little word, if. If. You find this principle, not just in the Bible, but this is a principle, a principle of logic and logical reasoning. You find it all through life. It's the if-then principle. And it's based upon, many ways, a natural, logical way to reason and think. If one thing be true, then we can therefore conclude that this is true. If this, then this. You find that over and over in God's Word. You remember uh, there in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, If the Lord be God, then follow Him. Or in Joshua 24, in verse 15, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve. And then again, Paul writes to the church at Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, well, then seek those things which are above. If then. And so now Moses, on this principle, argues with God, If I have indeed found grace in thy sight, then show me thy way. The foundation upon which Moses argues for more revelation is the reality of God's grace already present in his life. And if I want to ask God for more, then I usually do that based upon what I know God has said and what I have experienced God to do already in my life. If this be true, if I have indeed found grace in thy sight, then... I must have found grace in his sight because God cannot lie, right? God had just said, thou hast found grace in my sight. So if that be true, then follows these requests. And the truth is, Moses knew God had been gracious to him. Moses knew he had found grace. He knew it. No way would he ever been able to stand against Pharaoh. No way could this fugitive, an exile for 40 years, 
be able to stand against the king of the world in many ways and say, hey, let God's people go. No way could he do that if the grace of God had not been given to him. In no way could he have led those people through the Red Sea if the grace of God had not been given to him. No way could he have led them through the wilderness if the grace of God had not been given. So God had been gracious and God had given him much grace. And all that Moses had seen and accomplished up until that point was because of God's amazing grace. Now I want to just encourage you today to look back. Can you see God's hand? Can you see God's grace in your life? From this truth that God has indeed given us grace, both a fact and an experience, then from that, God showing Moses grace, telling him that he has found grace, and Moses also experiencing that grace in his life, from that, Moses makes his plea. You see, truth is truth regardless of whether you understand it or not. Truth is truth regardless of whether you agree or not. And truth is truth whether you experience it or not. But oh how special it is when you do believe that it's true. When you come to the point when you do agree, yes, this is true. When you begin to understand that it's true and you begin to experience that truth in your life. And so Moses says, if I have found grace, and he had, it could be traced. Can I just say it would do us good, even today, to frequent the memories of God's grace in our life, the evidence of his grace? Do you know what we do oftentimes? We oftentimes look at what's missing, what we don't have. We often focus on what we don't have and maybe our failures and our faults. And and I'm not saying that uh, there's not a place for that. But Moses, if he was going to plead with God for more, it was going to be upon what he already knew to be true and what he already had experience. And from this combination of the Word of God and our experience of that Word in our lives... We are therefore emboldened to ask for more. If you never experience the word of God to be true, then you're never going to ask God for more. And you're never going to step out and believe him for more. Otherwise, it becomes just some stale collection of words. Somebody's trying to get you to agree to intellectually, but it never goes any further than that. Is your faith anything more than just a statement of faith? Is your faith anything more than just a, you could say, a confession? Is it more than words? In Romans 5, Paul writes about this. Let me share a few verses. Beautiful. You know, my my children, thinking about this, my children, they know who to ask if they want something sweet. They don't go to their mother. They go to their father. And why do they do that? Because experience has proven... But if they go to their father, chances are they're going to get something sweet. And so it is when it comes to God. The more you experience of God, the more you begin to realize his word is true. And Paul writes this in Romans 5, and it begins really from justification, salvation. Therefore being justified by faith. I am right with God because I believe Jesus died for me. 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also. So now he says, we begin there and we go more. We go from justified by faith, being made right with God because of Jesus. There's more to come. Can I just say, many Christians stop on the other side of justification and never go any further. Many Christians get to the point where they believe Jesus died for them, was buried and rose again, but they never go any further. They never experience anything more. And many are content to stay right there. Well, I'm right with God and I have peace with God. That's good enough for me. But it goes on, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, there's more, but we glory in tribulations also. Can I ask you, have you ever gotten to the place where you can glory in tribulations? Have you matured enough in your faith where you've gotten to the point when a trial comes, you say, thank you, Lord. Something good is coming out of this. We glory in tribulation because we know, knowing that tribulation worketh patience or endurance. Meaning this, if you're going to run a marathon, let's be honest, there might be a couple of folks in here who can run a marathon today, but most of us wouldn't be able to do it today, would we? We'd have to work at it. And you'd run maybe a mile today and maybe next week start doing three miles and maybe a few weeks later start doing five miles. And the more you run... The more endurance you get, and the Bible says tribulation works endurance, patience, and it goes on. And patience works experience, and experience worketh hope. Meaning, you run five miles once, experience says you can do it again. You run five miles two or three times, you begin to think, I probably can do more. And that's exactly in the Christian life what we have. The more you experience of God's word to be true in your life, the more faith is increased inside of you. And you begin to realize there is more. If God has brought me this far, and by the way, a year ago I wasn't anywhere near where I am right now. God has brought me so far, then there must be, maybe there is some more. Maybe there's more. And so on this reasoning, Moses says, If I have found grace in thy sight, then show me now thy way. Now this is beautiful. I had to come back to this because I I didn't properly look at it. Show me now thy way. Show me. Teach me. Reveal to me. Have you ever been brought to such an impossible situation that you've had to say, God, show me what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I I don't know. Everybody's saying one thing or maybe, maybe I'm hearing so many different things and I just don't know what to do. And that's exactly, by the way, where God wants you to be. Where you have to say, God, show me your way. Not my way. Because my way doesn't work. I've tried it a few times, haven't you? And by the way, if you don't figure out soon, sooner rather than later, that your way doesn't work, then you're going to find yourself constantly making the same mistake over and over again, just changing your way and changing your ideas and failing every single time because your way doesn't work. Show me thy way. 
If you're constantly chasing your way, you'll be constantly coming to a dead end. I wonder today, have you figured that out? That your way is not the right way. Show me thy way. Not mine, not his, and not hers, and not the denomination's way, and not the government's way, but show me thy way. Have you been there yet? Have you gotten to that point yet? People are forever trying to get you to see their way, aren't they? People are forever trying to teach you their way and trying to get you to go their way. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't go that way. This is a better way. Go my way. This is the way we do it. But may God bring us to this point where we say, I've had enough of everybody else's way. I want your way. I've had enough of my way. I want yours. There's a beautiful hymn uh, from this very thought, also from one of the Psalms, but uh, found in many hymn books. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy way. Thy gracious aid afford. Teach me thy way. Help me to walk aright. More by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light. Teach me thy way. Do you know why most of us don't go to God and ask him for his way because his way is a way of faith and you can't see it and you and I let's be honest we like to know where we're going when I was young you're going to shake your head at me I'm sure but when I was young and first started driving me and some mates thought it would be a very clever thing and a very fun thing if we switched our headlamps off at night when we were driving and uh, we thought that was very exciting and uh, I realized now it's very stupid But you do stupid things when you're young. But, you know, it's good not to turn your headlamps off when you're driving. But it's good to turn the headlamps of everybody else's voice off and let God show you his way. It's a way of faith. Teach me thy way. And Moses says something interesting that we can't overlook. He says, teach me now thy way. Now that word came up on Wednesday night. You remember Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. And so we find here Moses saying teach me now thy way. There's an urgency and a necessity. Moses says I can't wait any longer. I don't, I, I'm not asking for next week. But right now I need to know what way to go. Now that's not some arrogant demand trying to boss God around and tell him what to do. But it's an understanding, God, if you don't show me where to go, I, I can't go. Leonard Ravenhill once said, God doesn't answer prayer, he answers desperate prayer. When's the last time you got desperate? What we find ourselves doing often, let's be honest, is we oftentimes have a, nothing wrong with having a list, but sometimes we just read through the list and it's very, it's just a list, like a shopping list. And Lord, uh, help Jeff, and uh, if you'd be with Tommy and uh, Margaret, and uh, if you'd be with Caden and uh, Thomas, please. And, and that's not really praying. Just reading words or reciting words is not really praying. It never has been. Praying is entering into the presence of God, communing with God. And, and so we have this urgency in Moses' heart. God, I need you now. You find this in... With Jacob, do you remember what Jacob wrestled with God all night long? Do you remember what he said? I will not let thee go. 
until you bless me. When's the last time you wrestled with God in prayer all night long and said, God, I won't let you go until you bless me? What about Hannah? Give me children or I die. Desperate. I think about John Knox there in Scotland. A mighty man used of God. He's famous for saying, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And he got it. He ended up with more influence than Mary, Queen of Scots herself. He shook that nation because there was an urgency in his prayers. It wasn't just in his performance. It wasn't in his preaching and his speaking. It was his prayers. And you remember, I've said it many times, but Mary, Queen of Scots said, I fear the prayers of that man more than all the combined armies of Europe. Think about that. That you could have a monarch saying, oh, that man's praying makes me nervous. That's what I want. That's what I want. Show me now thy way. And then he says something interesting. Show me now thy way. What does he mean? Well, a way, some of you are here for the first time today and maybe you had a hard time finding the way. A road or a path that leads you to a particular destination. And so no doubt Moses was saying, okay, God, if you want me to do that, you're going to have to show me how to get there. Show me the way. I can't help but think immediately of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said one time, uh, several hundred years later. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus is God's way. Jesus is God's path unto God himself. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus said. No man can get there. There's not all roads lead to God. There's one way, one path. And Jesus is that way. And so Moses says, show me thy way. It's more than just a path, though, isn't there? Sometimes when we say, show me thy way, we also oftentimes think of how. Show me how to get there. Show me how to do it. Right? That's one of the joys of being a father is teaching my children to do things, how to do things. Uh, teaching my boys how to use a drill or a hammer I don't, I don't know how to teach my girls how to cook, but my wife can do that. We teach them how to do things. And in a sense, Moses was not just saying, show me the physical path, but he was showing, Lord, I don't even know how to do this. I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to walk. I don't know how to react. I always get it wrong. You ever been there before? Every time you open your mouth, you seem to say the wrong thing. And so Moses says, God, show me thy way. I can't do this. And can I ask you, have you been brought to that point? You and I will never be what we should be until we get to that point when we say, God, show me thy way. Show me how to talk. Show me how to walk. Show me where to go. Show me how to live. Much of that is found in the, in the perfect example of Christ. And then we find this beautiful following thought. But why? Why did Moses need to know this? Do you know half of the battle is knowing why, isn't it? Do you know they say that so many teenagers, 80% of teenagers, they say, in the Western world, leave the church. If they grew up in church, they leave the church when they get to university age. Do you know why that is? 
Because for most of their life, they've been told what to believe, and, but never been told why. For most of their life, they've been told, believe this, believe this, don't do that, do this. And nobody ever said, why? They said, when they got old enough to make their own mind up and make their own decisions, they said, well, thanks, but no thanks. So why did Moses want to know and need to know with such urgency the way of God? I'll tell you why it's found right here. Show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Three reasons he had to know. Three reasons he had to know God's way. By the way, if you don't know what you're fighting for, very soon you're going to quit fighting. If you don't know why you're standing, very soon you're going to sit down. Right? You say, well, I, I don't really know why I'm fighting, but I'm going to keep on fighting anyways. No, it doesn't last. You've got to have a reason. If somebody offends you and you want to draw gloves with them, have a little fight with them, well, you're fighting for your pride aren't you well if you go to a protest and sometimes you're protesting or fighting for your rights or if you if a country goes to war maybe they're fighting for freedoms you get the point don't you you got to know what you're fighting for or else the fight is pointless and so Moses says show me thy way this is what I'm wrestling for with God this is what I need and this is why three reasons that I may know thee the number one reason that Moses pleaded with God Teach me the right way to go and, and show me where to go and how to do it. It's so that I can know you. Can I tell you, this is the purpose of life. So many people today don't even know why they're living. Why am I here? I don't know where to go. And I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what to do with my life. Maybe I'll get a job. That's what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'll go to university. That's what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'll try to find somebody to fall in love with. That's what I'm supposed to do. But I don't really know why. And Moses says, on the number one top of the list, show me thy way. Not that I can have a job and a better house and a better family. Show me thy way that I can know you. Because can I tell you, until you include that in your life, you'll always be wandering without direction. From job to job, relationship to relationship, purpose to purpose, trying to figure it all out. That I may know thee. This is found over and over in scripture. In fact, it's found on, on uh, one of the banners in, in the chapel there in Jericho. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 17. That famous prayer. He says in verse number 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. What is eternal life? What is everlasting life? Is it going to heaven? Getting a ticket that gets us out of hell? What is life eternal? This is life eternal that they might know thee. That's eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. Heaven is only heaven because that's where God is. Everybody gets excited. I can't wait to get to heaven. Why? I can't wait to get there because that's where God is. And I want to be wherever He is. That's where I want to be. I'm not, I don't want to go to heaven so I can skate, ice skate on streets of gold. I don't want to go to heaven so I can look at all the pearly gates. I don't want to go to heaven so I can finally live in a mansion. I didn't get one on earth below. So I want, No, no, I want to go to heaven because that's where God is. And this is life eternal that we might know Him 
and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, another beautiful portion of scripture. I'm sure that you are familiar with it. He speaks about all of his previous accomplishments. Now I'm sure in a congregation like this, uh, there are some probably some uh, very, very high accomplishments, some very rewarding things that some folks here have accomplished. But Paul says, all of that is dung to me. I count it all as waste to me. He says in verse number 7, what things were gained to me, the things that used to be gained to me, the things I were living for. Yea, he says, I count them, I count all things but loss for the excellency of Christ. Sorry, verse 7. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ so I could get him. I, I left those behind to get Christ. And then he says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. There it is again. That I may know thee. He goes on. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And he goes on. And be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Knowing God. Why am I here? Let me tell you. You are here to know God. You may wonder how you ended up under this tent today. You may wonder, maybe trying to figure out how to get out of here as quick as you can. But let me tell you, you've been brought here to know God. That's why. That I may know him. That's why you're alive. And, and until you realize that, until you come to that point, you'll always be searching for something and never quite satisfied. John writes this at the, one of the last books of the Bible in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. Listen to what he says here. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. To know him. Can I ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? And if you do, how well do you know him? He goes on in Exodus 33. Well, I need you, God, to show me your way so that I can know you. There's something about knowing God, a person's way that helps you to be acquainted with them, right? If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. My wife and I have been married for a few, few years now. And the longer we're together, the more we know each other. The more we understand each other's ways. We can predict, almost predict. I'm a little bit unpredictable, but for the most part, we can predict one another's next move. Because we know one another. Because we know each other's ways. We know what we like and what we don't like. My wife knows how I like my, uh, my clothes to be folded and how I, what kind of detergent I like. And she knows uh, what kind of razors I use. And, and uh, she, she knows me. She knows my sleeping patterns. She knows I'm up about one o'clock in the morning, usually because Paxson is awake, and, or maybe three o'clock. She knows. Uh, she knows that I'm always itching to move, and she can see that. We'll be, I'll be there trying to be a good husband and trying to show support and love, and she'll say, you need to go somewhere, don't you? Because she knows me. And the more you and I know God, the more we know his way, the more we know him. And that cannot happen any other way than spending time with him. There's no shortcut. You want to know God's way? 
Do you want to know God? Do you want to know the way that God works and the way that God thinks and the way that God... Then, then there's no other way besides spending time with God. He says, show me thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. Now, this is very important. Listen to this. You say, hold on a moment. I thought he already had grace. Didn't he say that? I have, I have found, if I have found grace in thy sight, then show me thy way so I can find grace in thy sight. Do you, do you know what he understood? He understood, yes, he had found grace, but he understood there was more grace. There was grace upon grace. There was abundance of grace. There was more. More and more and more to come. I love what Peter writes in, in 2 Peter. He speaks about knowing God on three different, three different verses in the first chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse number 1, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's a sense that every believer, every child of God has grace. Because for by grace are you saved, right? But there's more. And it's a possibility of having grace multiplied to you. I don't know about you, but I am finding that I need more and more grace. More and more grace to deal with myself. More and more grace to deal with difficult people, difficult situations. I need more grace. But you will have no other way of finding more grace. The only way to find grace multiplied is through the knowledge of God. That's what it says. So a good indication that you don't really know God as much as you claim to know God as if you are not a gracious person. Now I know some people who are very up on their theology. Very clever, very intelligent. But they have zero grace. You ever, you ever seen that before? Constantly ripping people to shreds. Constantly pointing out faults. Multiplied grace is the result of multiplied time in his presence. In the next verse, according as his divine grace has given unto us all things. That's an amazing thought. God's grace has given you everything you need. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Did you know everything you need for life, God's given you? Life and godliness. Like, what job am I supposed to take? And who am I supposed to marry? And where am I supposed to live? All things that pertain to life, according as his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us. I want to know what to do. Know God. Sometimes somebody says, what do I do? I'll tell you, here it is, here it is. Know God. Know him more. Oh, come on, tell me what to do. I can't. Because I am not the the agent through which God gives you direction. The Holy Spirit is. God himself is. In fact, when you think about this, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, it's the Spirit of God, is the person of the Trinity that is used to call and pull us to himself. So you find knowing God the Father in verse number 2, and knowing God the Spirit in verse number 3, and then you find coming on that we've been given great promises exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature did you know it's amazing through the promises of god we are able to partake of god's nature now we had some cookies here a moment ago and uh if you wanted to partake of those cookies well then you, you've got to be able enough and willing enough and have the permission enough to go and get it well it's the it is according it's the promises of god that enable us to actually partake of the nature of god it's his word. He promised it. He said it. 
And based, if you're not reading God's word, if you're not finding those promises, if you're not laying hold on those promises, then you're never going to be partaking of the nature like you could. According, whereby are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Look here for a second. You partake of God's nature and you escape corruption through the promises. I keep falling and I keep sinning and I keep doing the same thing. You're not partaking of the promises. That's how we escape. Then he goes on and says, besides this, give all diligence, add to your faith. And a list of things to add to your faith. And it says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Know him. Know him. I need more grace that's found in knowing Him. Why do I need God to show me His way? Because I need much grace. It's interesting in verse 12 and 13 of Exodus 33, grace is found three times. Thou hast also found grace in my sight. If I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I might find grace in thy sight. Grace, grace, grace. It's all about grace. We sing marvelous grace of our loving Lord. It's about understanding that if we're going to get anything from God, it's not because we've earned it or deserve it, but because He is good. Now there's a sense that everybody has experienced a little bit of grace. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. There's a sense that there's a measure of grace that's been extended to all of humanity, but there's more grace to be had. He's the God of all grace. He is full of grace. And so Moses said, show me thy way so I can have more grace. Because I'm dealing with a hard people. You're dealing with a difficult neighbor? You need more grace. Dealing with a difficult job? You need more grace. Have you been brought to a new level of responsibility? You need more grace. And then the last reason he asked for God to show him his way. That he may know him. That he might find grace. And look what it says. And consider that this nation is thy people. This is encouraging. Moses says, lastly, I need you to show me your way for the sake of this people. Grace and knowing God is never just for you. Never. Grace is never to be selfish. Grace is to be had that it may be given. And if you are receiving of God and not giving then you've missed it. You've missed it. Every once in a while we talk about Dead Sea Christians. Do you know why they call the Dead Sea the Dead Sea? Well, they say, they tell me, I've never been there before, some of the folks here have. They tell me that there are many inlets, any rivers and streams that run into it. But nothing that runs out of it. A lot of life sources coming in. Nothing that goes out, and so it's become very dense. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians who have a lot of streams and rivers coming in. Come every week, maybe three times a week, and listen to the word being preached, and maybe they even listen to sermons every single day, and they're and a lot of reading books and things coming in, but nothing's going out. Can I tell you if nothing's going out, then you're a Dead Sea Christian. How are you serving? Moses says, consider this people. 
that this nation is thy people. And perhaps God would move us to say, Lord, show me thy way that, uh, that, that I might know you and find more grace. And so that something can be done in this nation and for this people. Not for me, so I can enjoy a comfortable rest of my existence, but for this nation. May God stir us to know Him more, not just for the benefit of knowing Him more, not just for the benefit of having more grace, but for the benefit of being the agent through which this people is awakened and brought to God. Consider this nation. Maybe you'd underline those words or write them somewhere in your own mind where you would say to God, Lord, consider this nation. Think about this nation. Consider this people. I don't know about you, but I've had it long enough living for myself. You could not be a missionary for the Moravians unless you passed their exam and it was only three questions. How many of you ever heard of the Moravians before, the Moravian missionaries? You couldn't be a missionary with the Moravians unless you passed their exam. It was three questions long. The first question was this, have you lived long enough for yourself? Are you finished? Are you done living for you? Are you done trying to get as much as you can out of this world? Are you done making decisions based upon what you can get? I know some people who, who, who in ministry, they're involved in ministry just so they can get something out of it. I'm done making decisions. Have you lived long enough for yourself? Here's the second thing. Have you lived at all for the church? Have you begun to live for the people of God? And the third question was, are you willing to die joyfully for the cause of Christ? Ooh. I don't know about that. Consider this nation, that they would be thy people. I need to know him more, and I need him to show me his way. So I can know him more, find more grace, and so that I can plead on behalf of this nation. Maybe God would put it in your heart that we might say, not just give me Oxford or I die, but give me England or I die. About time we got urgent, serious. Why is it that there aren't any more men of God who have such influence like before? It might be because there have been many false prophets who have had influence and caused such shame. But where are the men of true character? Like John Knox, who had more influence than politicians, more influence than the queen. May God give us such men. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask thee today, show me now thy way. Not for self-promotion, not for prominence, not for selfishness, but so that we might know thee. That we might find grace, more grace, Lord. More grace for the challenges that lie ahead. More grace for the difficulties that we're facing right now. And so that we might plead with thee to consider this nation. To consider those who belong to thee. Use us, Lord, I pray. Show us thy way. Lord, we need it. We need to know thy way in this dark hour. Show us, Lord. Give us grace to follow thee. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.